break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back with you here on The Punch Out, 5-13-20-21 Thursday. Very happy to be back with you here on this Thursday. We've got plenty for you as it concerns the show here today, as we always do. We're going to be talking about the ongoing battle over unemployment insurance, at least at the propaganda level. We have even more information for you for why a lot of what you're hearing about that in the media is false. We're going to be talking about the landless workers in South Africa who are under attack and expanding attack on a very vibrant movement there in South Africa by the government. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, We're going to start with the role of share buybacks, the stock market, if you will, and bridge collapses and other calamities. Well, as I'm sure you know by now, the United States Congress is currently debating a roughly $2 trillion infrastructure plan proposed by President Joe Biden, known as the American Jobs Plan. One of the most contentious aspects of the debate is around how it's paid for. In particular, whether or not to raise the corporate tax rate from 21% to 28%, which, by the way, would still more or less be lower than any time since World War II. Major corporations are making a big push on their own and through trade associations like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the Business Roundtable, claiming that higher taxes will destroy their business and kill job growth. The roundtable stated that in their survey of, quote, America's largest job creators, end quote, that 98% of these corporate titans said that the tax increases would hurt their business and limit hiring and economic growth. So, I mean, you hear all that and you'd think, well, these companies must be broke or something, just right on the verge of collapse. Well, if you thought that, you thought wrong. It's the Financial Times details. As we enter the second quarter of this fiscal year, quote, companies are preparing to launch a record wave of share buybacks as executives get comfortable with spending excess cash following a blockbuster earnings season. Let me just actually read that first sentence again. Quote, companies are preparing to launch a record wave of share buybacks as executives get comfortable with spending excess cash following a blockbuster earnings season. U.S. companies announced $484 billion in share buybacks in the first four months of this year, the highest such total in at least two decades, and what analysts dubbed a buyback bonanza. Goldman Sachs projected share repurchases by U.S. companies would increase 35% this year from 2020. So in layman's terms here, Corporations made so much money in the first four months of this year that they are about to spend nearly $500 billion buying up their own stock from investors. Now, share buybacks like this have two purposes. One is they act as a reward of sorts for holders of a particular stock by buying them out at a slightly elevated price. So basically letting people cash out of the casino while they're still ahead. 
And the other major function is it reduces the number of overall shares. Now, that makes the price per share go up higher. And thus, those who retain large stock holdings in a company, the core owners, if you will, their investments are now worth more. You can only do stock buybacks when you have a lot of cash on hand. That is, you're making profits. However, the practice is often criticized due to the fact that it only benefits large investors and, in fact, takes resources away from the company itself. Ultimately, it's designed to keep Wall Street happy. It serves no actual useful purpose other than to make them richer. Literally, that's what it's there for. Uh, there's dividends as well, but dividends are something you're locked into. So share buybacks are considered an easier way to keep Wall Street happier. So during the pandemic, the Federal Reserve actually placed limits on stock buybacks for a few reasons, including that it just looks bad. But those have now been lifted and the gold rush is on. So what's the connection here between these stock buybacks and the bridges? Well, think of it like this. U.S. corporations already this year spent $484 billion on these buybacks. $484 billion on these buybacks. They don't want to pay one dime to increase the infrastructure for the bridges. So again, $484 billion on the buybacks. Remember that number. And now compare it to the issue of the bridges. The total amount needed to clear the backlog of all bridge repairs in the United States is $125 billion. It would cost $21 billion to improve and maintain the moderate, high, and very high-risk levies in the U.S., the ones most likely to collapse. There's a, there is a $70 billion backlog in repairs at public housing developments in the U.S. And it would cost $66 billion to bring all the nation's dams into the right level of maintenance and, and repair. So just to note here, all of that together, I'm only at $282 billion. So you could fix all the bridges, dams, levees, and public housing in the United States for just over half of what major corporations spent enriching Wall Street investors in just the first four months of this year. And, you know, just to throw this in there as well, according to Biden's plan, it would cost $100 billion to have broadband infrastructure that covers the entire country. So we aren't even up to $400 billion, and we've already fixed the bridges, the dams, the levees, public housing, and brought broadband to every corner of the nation. So wait a second. Remind me again, why can't these corporations pay higher taxes? I could easily go on for another 10 minutes, another hour, detailing how absurd all this is. But the broader point is clear enough. Corporations are massively flush with cash. They are funneling that cash to the richest 1% of people in the country through stock buybacks. And they are using every single bit of political muscle they have to prevent any of those dollars from going to things that can actually help people. That's American capitalism, profit over people, hard at work here in 2021. Well, earlier this week, we talked to you about the case of George Bonono, who is the deputy president of South Africa's Shack Dwellers Movement. He's facing highly dubious charges of murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and what is widely referred to both in South Africa and around the world, where this is drawing a lot of attention, as a frame-up designed to weaken the movement for housing and services, public services, for working and poor people in South Africa. And today in court, Bonono was denied bail, along with Seniko Mia, who's also a member of the movement, charged in the same murder case. And reports have it that Bonono is being sent into a more restrictive level of detention. 
Now, just to refresh your memory here, if you didn't listen earlier in the week, this alleged conspiracy to commit murder charge that they both face is related to a public meeting, an open public meeting, where prosecutors and police claim that in this open public meeting, Bonono and others organized a murder of a witness to another murder case that the cops are also trying to pin on the Shack Dwellers movement. Now, as this case is playing out, the South African state has also expanded its repression of the Shack Dwellers movement, which is known by the acronym of ABM. Shemita Naidu, a longtime cadre of ABM, has now also been charged in a murder case from 2009. So it's pretty clear here that the South African government at various levels, local, regional, and above, is dredging up all sorts of murders, some from decades ago, and despite no real evidence, just doing everything they can to pin them on ABM leaders. And if that isn't enough, Mafiwe Gasa, another ABM member, was arrested yesterday on another murder conspiracy charge. They even threatened to imprison her along with her 16-month-old child. Thankfully, that was avoided. And all these various machinations in court are coming as the physical repression against the movement continues. Members are being beaten and attacked. The anti-land occupation police forces are fighting to dismantle their camps. In one recent meeting of ABM, a well-known hitman for a local capitalist in one area attended the meeting and openly attempted to intimidate those who were there uh, fighting for the right to housing. So why is this all happening? Well, as we said before, ABM is a massive embarrassment to the South African government, which claims to seek the welfare of all and constantly leans on a radical legacy to hide its own severe shortcomings that have left working and poor people mired in poverty decades after the end of apartheid. ABM is at the forefront not just of demanding the right to housing, but also land occupations on unused land that they launch all over the country and they build settlements for people to live. And these settlements that they raise on these occupied lands consist of makeshift shacks built with the labor of its own members and connected to supply lines for water and electricity without any assistance or permission from the government. Many of them are complete with uh, communal kitchens, childcare, churches, and political schools where ideological training is imparted. And the movement continues to grow. After the membership rolls were updated this week, it's learned that they've gone over 100,000 members, meaning they've gained something like 20,000 members since the beginning of this year. Also, the president of ABM recently received one of the world's most prestigious human rights prizes, the Per Anger Prize. This is also happening at the same time the ANC-led government is involved in a massive corruption crisis where all of its dirty laundry is being aired in the court and it's going up to the highest of high levels. So undoubtedly, the push against ABM certainly at least seems directly related to the needs of the ANC to hobble a vital force, pointing out the gap between what the government says is happening for the working class majority, as opposed to what's really happening for the working class majority. And that on top of that is offering real solutions in the here and now, and also a political vision for the future. It seems that at least in the near future, that the repression is set to continue here, could even grow. But as we mentioned before, the movement also continues to grow here on the major front line, or at least one of the major front lines in the worldwide battle for housing as a human right. Well, the battle is continuing, at least at the propaganda level, as it has all week. And we are certainly here for the battle of ideas. The battle I'm speaking to is the one over whether or not the $300 boost in unemployment benefits is causing a labor shortage. 
Now, we've been pushing back on that all week, and we will continue to as we learn more information coming out showing how absurd this statement truly is. Now, some of the basic points we've made so far include the fact that a major study of the workforce effects of last year's larger $600 boost to unemployment benefits noted that there was no evidence that there was any effect on unemployment insurance keeping people from going back to work. We also noted that the workforce actually expanded by 430,000 workers last month, showing more people are actually out looking for work. So here's another set of numbers for you to chew on. In a recent analysis of the most recent job numbers, so-called disappointing job numbers, the Economic Policy Institute notes that, quote, the disappointing net job growth numbers for April were actually not driven by a decline of flows into employment. That's a decline in people getting hired after being unemployed or out of the labor force, as one might expect if workers were choosing to live happily on unemployment insurance instead of searching for jobs. Instead, the net job growth number was held down by an atypically large uptick in flows out of employment. That's an increase in people being laid off or otherwise separated from a job and becoming unemployed, relieving the labor force. And since we know the labor force grew, basically, we can point to the fact that the disappointing job numbers are not because fewer people are looking for work, but because they're getting fired or the businesses are closing or something like that. There's also the fact that the area where there is allegedly a quote-unquote labor shortage, which is low-wage work, actually saw the largest job growth of any sector by far last month. This is a result of the reopening of the economy, where the things reopening the quickest are the lowest-paid jobs. There's also the fact that today it was announced last month saw the lowest number of new unemployment filings since the pandemic began. So back to our general point here. There's not a labor shortage at all. There's just a little bit of a readjustment period as the economy starts to reopen and thus grow some. Workers are looking for work in larger numbers and trying to see the best situation out there for themselves and for their families in terms of wages, benefits, and safety. And that's why we're seeing the lowest wage employers increasing their wages. McDonald's and Chipotle, by the way, announced this week that they are, in fact, increasing their wages. There's heightened competition as workers weigh the risk of various opportunities. But again, there is not a labor shortage as much as a shortage of employers who are reluctant to pay more than poverty wages and provide decent, safe working conditions. And those capitalists are paying the price for that. And they're trying to blame it on unemployment insurance in order to take away any leverage workers have to work somewhere that isn't a total hellhole that won't even help them pay their rent. It's total nonsense. And we're going to just keep breaking down the why and the how of that nonsense as long as these capitalist corporations and their buddies in the financial press keep trying to spread the same lies. And that's going to do it for us here today on The Punch Out. We'll be back with you tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern. And also our patrons-only edition of The Punch Out that usually comes out Wednesdays will be out tomorrow on Friday. So go to patreon.com slash breakthrough news and you'll be able to get not only your regular Friday Punch Out, but the patrons-only edition of The Punch Out this week. And don't forget tonight, Thursday the 13th at 6 p.m. Eastern time, the Freedom Side will be live at BT Newsroom and at YouTube.com slash breakthrough news. So thanks for listening. We'll be back with you tomorrow on the punch out here on Breakthrough News. Breakthrough News.